achievo, achievo, achievo. coming uh, two important important announcements um, we're excited to announce Bezos Hashem this Saturday night Matzah Shabbos Bezos Hashem is going to be the great 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 um, day of Lagba Omer the 30 day of the 33rd day of the Omer in which we celebrate both the um, stopping of that plague that plagued the greatest of the great, the students of the Holy Rabbi Akiva, and the great Yortzeit of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the father of all Jewish mysticism. And um, we, uh, over here at Mayon, being that we are a center connected to and related and part of the spreading of the ideas of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Zoharic, luminous, incredible light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that is, that is the light of Mashiach, that must be spread before Mashiach comes, and we're part of that. So we take part in this great celebration of Reb Shema by Yochai by having a great, a great uh, festivities in honor of Reb Shema by Yochai, as Reb Shema by Yochai himself has requested that we should turn his day of celebration into a wedding. So we're going to have wedding celebrations. Over here in a real market on La Brea, on Saturday night, Matzah Shabbos, it is a custom to make bonfires. We're going to have a huge bonfire with a band and barbecues and all kinds of good stuff. And it's going to be really, really reminiscent or as close as you can get. Uh, we're going to have a great, big, huge video feed from Marone. Um, and uh, therefore, you're going to be like you're over there in Marone, where the Holy Reb Shema Bayachai is buried. But we're going to transform Los Angeles into Tzfat, into that great place by all celebrating together so everyone is invited in the entire community men women and children come 9 30 at night uh there's no cost just great celebration and joy anybody that wants part in this awesome mitzvah of lighting a fire um it is known that there was a great competition amongst the rabbis about who was going to light the fire for in Maron, and the holy ruziner the great and saintly tzaddik the holy ruziner from the uh, fourth, fourth or fifth generation of Hasidic masters, he bought that merit for all generations. And his grandsons today 
is the Rebbe. The Bayana Rebbe lights it every year. Um, it's a big schus and a big, um, and it, it has powerful segulas to light that fire, to be part of that fire. So anybody that wants to help us, um, we don't have any we, uh, big sponsors for this event. It's all hopefully uh, coming from people that are generosity, that want to partake and want to have a schus in this. So you can email us. Uh, we're taking um, co-sponsors for the fire. You can send us your name. Name will be mentioned. Um, not loud because a lot of names, but hopefully we will be mentioning the names over there uh, for all those that have participated in that sponsorship of that fire. Go to our website and you can be part of this great schus and snatch a piece of that merit. Again, this Matzah Shabbos, come, bring your family, bring your friends. It's really going to be a taste of something else. I can guarantee you that. It's not, it's not Los Angeles. Matzah Shabbos, it's, it's an extension of the land of Israel. Very, very special. Over here at Ariel, that's on La Brea, corner Beverly, Beverly and La Brea by Ariel Market. Okay, thank you. Um, also, I want to remind everyone, there's phenomenal classes going on both Sunday on healing, Jewish medicine, our healing tradition by Rabbi Yehuda Frischman, by my son-in-law on, on Tuesdays, tomorrow night, uh, is going to be the next class called Teferis, Dark Charisma, Am I Sincere or a Fake? This is a scary class. Be'ezus Hashem. <laughs> I've attended the other ones and they're awesome. They're so insightful. They're really, really insightful. Come, even if you haven't been by the, by the earlier ones, they're not a continuation, meaning each class is an entity on its own. And if you want to listen to the old ones, you can go on our website. Uh, Nahid Bral has sponsored tonight's class in honor of her father's yard site, Moshe Ben Asher. May his neshama have a very, very, very great aliyah to the greatest, greatest of The yard site is tomorrow night. All right, tomorrow night. Uh, so that's going to be on the 14th of Iyar. May his neshama have an awesome aliyah to the greatest of heights. May he channel lots of brachas and blessings to you for goodness and for only, only, only good things. Thank you very much. Um, Shalom El Harar sponsored the shir tonight as well. L'zeich Nishmas, both of his parents. His father, Yichya Amram Ben Nisim, and his mother, Hanabas Moshe, whose yard site are a day apart. The 15th and the 16th of Iyar. May their neshama both have a tremendous aliyah. May they channel lots of brachas to you, Shalom, for you and your entire family and children and grandchildren for only happiness, joy, good health, parnasa, and great, great things. Thank you so much. And um, another dedication tonight was by the Perlis family, Shelley and Shirley Perlis. This is in honor of Shelley's mother's yard site, which I think is tonight. Panima Sylvia Basmeyer. May her our neshama have an awesome aliyah. And may she channel lots of brachas to you, Shelly, and for the entire Perlis family, for good health, for good, good health, and much brachas and parnasa and only anachas from the children and grandchildren, and only good things. Thank you. Also, also in honor of Shelly's birthday, happy birthday, shnas bracha natzlacha, wonderful, wonderful good things to you and to your family. Should be a good, 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 wonderful good year. Another sponsorship on today's shear. Uh, this was by uh, Kiva and Bluma Trap. This is in honor of uh, two grandfathers' yard sites. Mrs. Bluma Trap's grandfather's yard site, Moshe Velvel Ben 
Yaakov and Lazer Ben Lewis's yard site the day before Lag Boimer, that Shabbos, may the Nishama have a very great aliyah, lots of mazal bracha, and only only any good things for the entire family. Thank you so much for that dedication. Um, the CD this week was dedicated by Rabbi Aaron Perry and his kala Penina Fishman. This is in honor of their engagement. Mazal tov, mazal tov. May they uh, have a binyan adayad and uh, have only, only mazal and brach and only good things. Thank you so much for that dedication and uh, only good news for the family. Um, I want to thank, take a moment to thank last week. We didn't have any sponsors and two people sponsored the Shia retroactively after the Shia. I want to make mention of them. Chava Rachel Krintzman. This is in honor of a yard site on the 7th of Ir, Moshe Aaron ben Chaya. May Zanisham have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights and lots of brachas to you. And Devorah Hirschberg, uh, Hertzberg, this is in honor of her birthday. May Hashem bless you with a shnas bracha natzlacha. Only, only good, good, good things to you and your family. Mazel bracha and great things. Thank you. So tonight um, is Parshas Emor. Emor is a fascinating Torah portion. The good part about this class is that to get to the Hasidic insight and ideas of the parsha, sometimes you don't have to go far. We're gonna stay. We're gonna we're gonna hover. We're gonna hover around just the first, just the name of the parsha. The name of the parsha is Emor. Emor means to speak. So we're gonna talk about speech. You know, the name of the parsha contains the essence of the parsha. So there must be something powerful about speech related to Parshas Emor. I looked through the Parsha and I'm trying to find the connection of speech. And right at the beginning, I haven't found it. We were discussing, you know, the Kohanim, the laws of the special holiness of the priests. And I'm sure there is a connection there. Because every Pasuk in this week's Torah portion is a Pasuk in Parshas Emor. But as we get a little further into the Parsha, it becomes strikingly evident, evident the power of speech. And that is, we at, the, at least in the second half of the parsha, very strongly emphasized. Because we learn about all the holidays, all about the Yom Tovim. And the opening of all the holidays is, Ela Mo'ade Hashem, these are the Mo'adim, these are the fe- festivals of God. Mikro'e Kodesh, a calling of holiness. Ashetikru Oisam, Adam that you should call them on their on their on their appropriate times, which we know that the sanctity, the holiness of the holidays are dependent on our speech. The basin has to say on the, the basin that would look up to see the new moon, in order for Rosh Hashanah to be Rosh Hashanah, for Yom Kippur to be Yom Kippur, for Pesach to be Pesach. The holiness of the day is established by the Jewish court through their speech. Mikro'e Kodesh, a calling of holiness. That means that we have through our speech to decide. The Jewish people were given such power in their speech that we have the ability to decide the nature of the day, the condition of the cosmos. Because we understand that all of creation changes on Yom Tif. It's a whole different energy. Everything is elevated. All the worlds are filled with godly light. And who is it dependent on? On speech. On the speech of the Beisden. Mikra'i Kodesh. Beisden has to call it out. This day is holy. And until the Beisden doesn't say it, Mekudesh, Mekudesh, it doesn't become, they have to say it. So that means the power to have such, 
such strength and such ability. Further on in the parsha, towards the end of the parsha, again we find the emphasis on speech, and the parsha concludes the negative story. But it shows you the flip side of speech and how careful we need to be with this incredible, potent power of of emor to talk to talk the right way. It tells us about a person who uttered the opposite of a blessing to God, of blasphemy. A fellow, a person, he was upset, he got into a fight because of the positioning of his tent. He didn't like, they told him to go somewhere else, they didn't want to let him pitch his tent amongst the various tribes. And he got angry, and he was, and he uttered, and he spoke blasphemy, he uttered a, a curse against uh, the one above. And as a result of that, and, that, and then that's, that, that's how the parsha concludes. And the Torah tells us that the reason why he did this and how this all came about, so Rashi concludes that there was some kind of a blemish in speech in his mother. His mother's, na- his mother's name, this fellow, his mother's name was Shlomis Baz Divri, and the word Divri means to speak, and she spoke a little too much. She was a lack of hertzniyas, of modesty. She spoke to everyone a little bit too much, not preserving the dignity, the regality of a Jewish woman, and as a result of that, it caused about, it brought about this horrible story. Uh, she was raped by an Egyptian, a whole story. And then this child was the child of that. And as a result of that, so this is this fellow. So that's the conclusion of Parshas Emor, which concludes with the, a very strong um, element of negative speech. And the Parsha earlier talks about the positive element of speech, and the name of the Parsha is Parshas Emor. So we need some better understanding of that, the greatness of our speech and our ability to have such effect and such impact on the world. And this is not just for the based in, this is each and every one of us. We literally can change the nature of the world through our power of speech. So, and that's what we would like to talk about tonight. What is that power of speech that the human being has that is so pivotal and post-strong? Now the strongest where speech comes out, where we see our power of speech to have impact in a huge way, is in prayer. Because we know that we can change reality through prayer. Chas v'shalom, God forbid, there is something in this world, something in our lives that isn't good. We all know that the first thing and the, 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 the thing that we all are accustomed to do and we should do is take out a tehillim and pray and daven. And through the davening, we know we can make awesome changes. We can change the decree. Even if, God forbid, things have already been decreed one way, through prayer we can bring about a change. The one that has been sick, chas could be healed. If it has been decreed to someone poverty, they can change their fortune. If, God forbid, any kind of decree, even if when it was already decreed from above that so should be, we know that a person should never, ever, ever uh, despair from rachamim, the sages say, which means to, from praying, from evoking compassion. And we do that through the power of our mouth, through the power of speech. So we need to understand how does that work. So I'd like to get a little deeper and better understanding into the power of prayer in general, and how does prayer work, and why in particularly, and why in particular, do we speak when we pray? It's not enough to think the prayers, to to think davening. We have to utter the words. We also find that what makes the human being human, what, makes, what distinguishes the human being 
and makes the human being be a higher creature and a higher being than everybody else is the power of speech. You know, we would think that the real power, the distinguishing factor of the human is his intelligence, our intelligence. The human species has intelligence, a far But we know that that's in Hebrew, when we refer to the human species, we don't refer to us as uniqueness, as the, in, the, the intelligent ones. We don't call people hasichliyim, the intelligent ones. The name that is given for the human species as, as to distinguish it from all other forms of life is middaber. Whenever it is discussed, the various different functions of life or different I mean, uh, elements, different uh, um, um, forms of life, there are given generally four distinctions, four categories. There is domain, which is the inanimate. Then there is tzomeach, which is vegetation. There is chai, which is animal. And then there is the medaber, the speaker. Which is interesting. Why not say, ha-sechel, not ha-sechel, not ha-bar-sechel, I guess. You would have a word that would emphasize the, like, like medaber. Hamaskil, that would be. Say Hamaskil, the one that's intelligent. That's how the human, just like Midaber, the one that speaks, the one that's a maskil. And yet, that's not what we use. We use the word Midaber. And simply the reason is because animals also have intelligence. They have intelligence, they have a very, 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 they have a minor intelligence, but yet they have intelligence. Animals have sometimes very, 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 very sharp and great innovation in being able to get food, uh, sometimes more than they're accustomed to. They're put into situations where they're not able to, where they're hungry or they can't get their food in an ordinary manner, and they come up with genius ways of getting their food. Animals also protect themselves with great, uh, a fox for instance is known to be the intelligent animal and other animals. So what distinguishing factor which makes the human different than all animals is not intellect, because we can say in intellect they have a lesser intelligence and we have a greater intelligence, but that would not put us in a different category. What is completely unique to the human being is the power of speech. And that the human stands out because animals don't, it doesn't exist at all. It's not like they have some kind of a primitive form of speech. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't have any kind of a communication. They do emit certain sounds and they recognize these sounds and, 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 and have some kind of a communication system. But it's not speech. It's not formed with letters. They don't have the ability to be able to utter the letters that all human beings can speak. We have 22 letters that were given to us as building blocks of communication. These are the tools of communication, sophisticated communication. And these letters are the same 22 letters in all languages. It's just called differently and slight variations. But essentially, these are these letters of the olive base, and they're somehow planted in the human soul. They're embedded in the human soul, and it's not to be found in any other species, in any other creature, in any other being to have the ability to be able to say letters. If a parrot talks, it's some kind of a mimicking of sound, but it's not really the utterances of letters. The utterance of letters is a unique human phenomenon. And for that reason, human beings are called medaber. Now, medaber, domain, tzomeach, this is all 
philosophical lingo. This is language that has, comes from the philosophers. How about in Torah? Do we find in Torah that the uniqueness of the human being is the, is the power of speech? Well, when you look at the beginning of the Bereshis, and when it says that when God created the man, it says, Hashem made man, to a living being. Right? In the beginning, when God creates all the creatures. The Pasik says, to a living being. The Targum translation, both the Unculus translation and the Targum Yonason, these two main Targums, two main, main translators, Unculus Ager and Yonason Ben Uziel, both of them translate the word um, Nefesh Chaya as Ruach Mamalala, a speaking spirit. Referring to the human being as a speaking spirit, meaning, they could have said, a human being is an intelligent being. No, no, no. A spirit that speaks. Because again, the distinguishing factor of the human being is the power to talk. So we need to understand why. What is, what is, the, what is the depth of it? We would think that intelligence is much greater than speech. Okay, so we can talk. But what is so, what is, why does is speech indicate in the human being that is so, so, so great? Also, another interesting factor is, idea is, that it's associated with the concept of ruach. Ruach meaning wind. We're using the concept, we're using the word ruach, spirit. Now ruach can be translated as spirit, but ruach also means, ruach also means wind. As we know, as we know that there are four elements. Eish, mayim, ruach, and afar. Eish is fire, mayim is water. Ruach, wind, afar, and earth. Now the distinction, and, and we know, an interesting idea. Speech is associated particularly with Ruach. As you see from the Targum, we just mentioned, Ruach Mamalala, a speaking spirit. The truth is the main power that which we use when we speak is we use Ruach, we use wind. We're uttering, we're giving forth, we're exhaling breath. Breath is what creates the voice, the sound, which carries the letters. So speech is associated with ruach. Now, the word emor, which is the root, which is the name of this week's parsha, which emor means to speak, stands for an acronym. The word emor, esh mayim ruach. Emor actually, which means to speak, is fire, water, ruach. So really, in speech, you have three elements in speech. You have the fire element in speech. You have the water element in speech, and you have the wind element in speech. Because, as you know, if your mouth is very, very, very dry, that means there's too much fire and no water, then you're hoarse and the words don't come out. If your mouth is very, very wet, then you're slobbering or whatever, blobbering, and the words won't either be clear. When, you, when someone speaks and they have a very, very, and they have a lot of saliva, you can't hear the distinction, the clear distinction of the letters. Everything flows like one, like one, um, like one chunk. It's like you don't have the, the broken sounds. So in order to speak, you need to have a, a great balance between fire and water. Now, fire and water are really, are really, are really, are really um, enemies with each other. Fire and water don't get along. We know that God had to make a whole miracle to bring fire and water together 
when by the, by the Bara. Fire and water are arch enemies. That's the, why we attribute speech to Ruach. Because it's the power of wind that comes along with the fire and the water that enables the fire and the water to get along with each other to allow us to speak. Because there's a third element to speech and that is the wind, Ruach. And as we're going to see soon, Ruach has dominion. The, the element of Ruach, of wind, has dominion over fire and water. It's more powerful than fire and water and has dominion over it. Now the idea that Ruach is so supreme and so high, and we said before that we attribute the human ability to speak Dafka precisely to the Ruach, we also find, and that I mentioned before, there are four forms of life, and there are also four elements. And the four forms of life correspond to the four elements. Which means, off our earth corresponds to the domain. Inanimate or lifeless beings, creatures like stones, minerals and the like, they are primarily composed, their dominant element in them is earth, even though they too have wind, water, because all the Arab Yasides, all the four elements are really mixed into everything, but the dominant feature is earth, and that's why they're lifeless. And then water, water is the dominant feature in the Tzomeach, vegetation, vegetation needs water to grow. And that's what it needs more than anything else, is water. Animal corresponds to ish, to fire. The power of animal life that generates the force of passion, of movement, of fervor is fire. Fire is the power of energy. Animal represents energy. Especially when we look at animals a little bit higher and a little deeper, and we see where their origins are. Animals originate from malachim. Angels above, when they are incarnated down here, they become animals. Up there, they're angels. And when you go to the Merkava, you go to the chariot, all the way, you chase them all the way up, what are they called? They're called Chayos HaKodesh, the holy beasts. And what are the Malachim made out of? Mishorsov Eish Lohit. The Malachim are considered flaming fire. They do have wind in them as well. But the fire element is the predominant element in the Malachim. Why? Animal fire. Leaves you with the last one, which is Ruach. Ruach, wind, corresponds to the human. Ruach memalala. And what does the wind give us? What element, what feature, what idea does wind give us over our fellow animals? What does it give us, fellow mammals? What does wind give us to, 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 to completely give us a status, a level on its own? Wind gives us gives us speech. And speech is that superior power. Wow. So speech is pretty awesome, so powerful. But let's take this even a step deeper. We're lining up four, four, and four. Well, let's line up another four. We know there are four dimensions in, in, in the world. Four, four levels of worlds. There's Olam Asiya, the physical, material, finished world. And then there's Olam Yetzira, the world of formation, more of a spiritual world. And there's Olam Abriya, even a higher, more refined, elevated, earlier stage in creation called Olam Abriya. And finally above it all is the world of the divine, Olam Atzilus, which represents already God. That's the place of the spirit, of the attributes that are unified with God. It's a complete, it's a world that can hardly be called a world. It's an emanation of Hashem. The reason we're calling it a world is because it's, it's an emanation that has already a certain definition. 
as opposed to God as He is higher that is beyond all definitions. And that is Olam HaAtzilus. Now when you, when you take the Eish, Mayim, Ruach, and Ofer, Ofer, Earth, corresponds to Olam Asiya, and the corresponding um, element is the inanimate. Yetzira is related to water, and um, water, and what else is in that world of Yetzira? We have water, and we have um, the, uh, the, the vegetation. So Meach. Then we come to the world of Bria, and the world of Bria is a world of fire. As the world of Bria is a world of fire, that world of fire is a world of angels, a world of malachim, which, are, which is the fiery world. And then above it all is the world of who? Is the, is, is, is the divine, the infinite, Hashem. Hashem is not a creation, He's infinite, He's boundless. And that corresponds to Ruach. So for some reason, Ruach is associated with this, with the divine, more than all the other elements. Ruach associated with the divine. Speech. So the power to talk is a purely godly power. A transcendental godly power is the power of speech. It's, it's in that sense, we are similar to God. Why? So what is there about speech? that really, really indicates that, that limitlessness. So simply it's one idea. As long as you're not talking, you're in your own space. You're in yourself. You're in yourself, you can increase yourself. You can expand yourself. More understanding, more knowledge, greater wisdom, greater, deeper emotions, deeper feelings. But you're limited in remaining where inside of you. The true power of the infinite is that I'm not limited to having an impact effect in me, in my space where I am. I can exit myself and communicate to whoever outside of me. That's true limitlessness. Believable, I have no limitation. I can even go out away from in me and enter into you, enter into some, uh, someone else's reality, and over there, affect, impact. That's the power of speech. So since the power of speech is the power to be able to leave one's own domain, exit yourself, to go out, that's showing on the omnipotence, and that's truly a godly phenomenon. And God has shared that with the human because Adam is Adam compared to God above and the human being can also speak. And that's our power of Ruach. Now, let's see the dominance of wind over, as we said earlier, how wind, Ruach, speech connects to this transcendental, infinite, boundless power. Um, where do we see that simply in physics? in the physical element of the world, there's something very unique about wind. And that is when you take, you find that the wind dominates over the other, over the other um, uh, elements that there are. In what sense? Wind has absolute power over water. How does wind have power over water? Wind controls water. If you were to take any water... And water, the essential nature of water, I'm holding water in my hand, if I tilt it out of here, the water will automatically run down. 
Now the water will run down out of this cup, if I spill it. If I make a hole in the cup, the water will come out. That's its nature of water is to descend, because water is kindness. Water is a physical manifestation of an energy of kindness. Kindness flows from the one that is higher to the one that is lower. That's what kindness means. I have, you don't, I am giving you. Being the kindness is nature is to go from a higher place to a lower place. Water, that's the, that's the essential nature of water. If I cover this cup completely and I make it completely airtight and I do not allow any air to enter and then I make a hole on the bottom, the water will not be water, meaning the water will not run down. We all know how to play that game when we, with a straw. You put your finger on the straw and you can suspend the water in mid-air. You move your finger out, what's happening? You're allowing the ear to go in. When the ear goes, goes in, the water, be, the water becomes water. Isn't that amazing? So water is controlled by ear. Ear makes the water, gives water its essential features, its essential property of fluidity to be able to flow down. Now, let's take a look at fire. Fire as well must have ear. You choke the ear from fire and the fire extinguishes. That's why the halacha is in Hilchah Shabbos, if you have a fire burning, you may not take a vessel, a cup, a, 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 a pail, and put it over a fire. Because when you cut, when you block the oxygen from the fire, the fire extinguishes. Even if you're not touching the fire, cut off the oxygen, the fire goes out. Fire needs oxygen. So fire needs, needs a, um, um, a wind for fire to be fire, which is that up flaring powerful force that is rising upward. That's what fire is. Water, which is the opposite of a fire, which flows downward, needs wind in order for it to be, needs to, in order for the water to be water. But interesting, wind doesn't need any of them. The wind doesn't need the fire, it doesn't need the water. Wind is on its own. That shows you that wind is above fire and water. And not only that, since wind has the power to, to stop the fire from being fire, and to stop the water from being water, because it controls it, that's the reason why fire and water obey the wind, and come together in speech, where the ruach element controls the esh and the mayim for them to make peace, and act in harmony, even though naturally the fire and the water would not get along. And that's how we can speak. So you see how speech literally indicates this power of ruach that has that power. Now, um, but as we said earlier, the power to talk comes from the deepest, most limitless part of our soul. See, when we look in the soul, we know that our neshama has various different layers. Meaning there is more external powers to our soul and the deeper powers. The further, more in you go, you can look at sometimes the Hasidic masters just to make it very understandable to us, give us an example that the, that the soul can be viewed like the layers of an onion. You have layers and layers and layers. So there's the outer layers and which are the most external and being that they are the most external, they are the most superficial or weakest elements of the soul the more inward you go, then the more deeper and deeper. Now speech seems to be a very external feature. Speech happens on the outside of a human being. It doesn't happen deep inside. 
Speeches when you're exiting. You're really, really already by the door going out of yourself. It's one of the most external elements of who you are. You can't, thought is deeper and richer than speech. Emotion, much richer. It's the inner experiences of the human being. Deep love, deep compassion, the determination, perseverance, bonding. All these powerful, powerful forces, regality, dominion, strong powers that the soul has, deep emotions. Speech is an expression of it all. It's an outward thing. And then go deeper than, than emotion. We have intellect, knowledge and intellect. And then at the very, very innermost of the intellect is where all the real, we would say, power and elevated high greatness of the human being is the power in where we can innovate. We can come up the, the power of creativity. That's the power of our chachma. Chachma is the power of creativity, all the greatness, invention, what it makes the human being so great throughout history. We've made so many inventions, we've come up with so many ideas, the world, wow, look at that. And so that's the intellect, and that's the, the especially there is the analytical side of the mind, which is the bina, and then there is the chachma. Chachma is that first initial flash of, of ideas, the power of creativity. Wow, that's so much deeper than what? So much deeper than speech. Yet, here's the amazing thing. Speech that we get, we encounter speech mainly on the most external level of our being when we talk, when we open our mouth to talk. But if we think about it, speech really accompanies us in every stage of our soul experiences. Because really thought is also made out of, not of physical words, but thought is made up of the same letters. We're thinking words. Now how about when we experience an emotion? When we experience an emotion, guess what? Subtle in the emotion are words. You're talking to yourself. That's why a lot of times you get very emotional and very bad. You'll end up you know, talking and you realize, oh, I just was actually talking to myself because I got really upset about something, right? And you feel like a fool because you're talking to yourself. But what's going on, you see that emotion carries within it what is words with because the emotion is being carried by the words and then even further deeper inner all intelligence has words in it now in the intelligence itself we know that in the initial initial first first brilliance the first flash of lightning of an idea the conception of an idea seems to be wordless it's just a concept it's just light but really, 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 over there as well, in a very, very, very subtle, subtle way, there are letters, very, very few words, but there are words, because our stream of consciousness is through letters. So you see that letters are the vehicles through which, they're the instruments, the tool, through which all experience soul of, of the soul, of our human experiences, all work through letters. But where do letters start? Where do they begin? Where are they manufactured? Where are they created? Now most of us would think, at least in terms of letters of speech, that they are created in the jaw. They're created in the mouth. In your mouth is where you create the letters. But as I just showed you, it can't be that way because the letters exist already in thought and in thought it's way above your jaw. 
It's the same letters. It's the same T, Q, and X, and Y, and Z, Aleph, Bez, Dalet, Hey. It's there. It's just there in a spiritual form. It's in your thought. It's in your emotion. It's in your intellect. That's way before we're getting now to the physical, muscular expansion and contraction of your jaw and of your tongue and of your lips and of your all your other five organs of speech. All of that is happening much earlier in your soul. So the speech obviously can't be created over here. And there's another interesting proof to this, in which the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, in his book Tanya, fascinating in the Geras HaKodesh, he gives us such an unbelievable insight into speech. He says you should know that the five organs of speech that are in the mouth, they do not create the letters at all. Because we know, in order to give off a certain sound, a a zayin, you're using your tongue and you're doing the z against your teeth, and uh, right, the b, you're, 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 you're contracting your lips, holding them together. The k, each. But he says an interesting thing. It's not that your the the movements of the organs of the mouth of the various different five organs of speech that they are based on the science of how they're interfering with the breath, creating the sound in the same way like a violin or musical instrument creates the note, the pitch of of that that is being played. Over there, there is a science. That's what's happening. It's these. It's pulling on the string at this particular at this particular pressure point, and the string has to be a certain tightness. And and the way you know it takes the 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 the, 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 the talent, the, the knowledge of how to make a wind a wind um, instrument. But by doing so scientifically, it's supposed to give off that particular sound. So the violin, the the clarinet, the whatever it is has, creates the sound. The ear flowing through the hole or through that thing creates that sound. In speech, it's not, the speech is not being created in the mouth. The letters, it's the opposite. The letters are making the mouth talk. The letters are there before. When the letters enter through your vocal cords into your mouth, they Take the mouth and, and expand, open and close the mouth to consistent with the letter. It's not your mouth that's making the letters, it's the letters that are moving your lips. And how do you know that? We all, if we want to play musical instruments, we have to take lessons. Five, ten years, fifteen years of so much practice. Speech comes naturally to every human being. Some people have a little problem with it and they need to help with certain letters. But generally, speech comes naturally when you're about a year and a half, two, two and a half. By three-year-old, all people are speaking. How? How in the world do you distinguish between the B and the P? You tell me that. That should take at least six months of school. P? No, no, no. No, no, no. You said B again. It's P. Do you know, do you know logically... How you decide the p and the b? You have no idea. They're both the same movement. B p. It's a little stronger. Okay, so shouldn't you need? Shouldn't we all need to practice that in class for weeks? Okay, just so no, no. This kid is not getting it, and the, yet everybody learns these letters. The answer is the letters are there already. They just got to come out, and when the mem wants to come out, it makes the mouth go. Mm. So the letters are causing the, so there's some spiritual power in your soul of these letters. But where do they start? Earlier we spoke, we traced them, that even in the intellect they're there. So where are they? So here's an amazing idea. He says in the quintessential soul, in the soul itself, above 
even before we're create where the creative mind begins, even higher than create with creative thinking, where in where new ideas are formed, even deeper and higher than that, in the super rational or super a lot uh, um, um, above. Basically, what we're saying is above any intelligence, higher than any expression. And obviously, this would be in the subconscious essence of our being. At the core, core, the art of these 22 letters. God implanted these 22 letters. It's an awesomely godly thing. It's of God's infinite power. And God put it and planned. That's what the human soul is. A human soul is the words of the all, is Malaya Oisios. It's filled with letters. And then it just emanates these letters. So really these letters are higher than all conception of ideas. Very, very powerful. And that's why our power of speech is so strong. And that's why, as we said before, that's the ruach element. Interesting, there's another word for ruach. Ruach um, in, uh, means wind. Another word for wind is avir. Avir means ear in Hebrew. Aleph, vav, yud, resh. It says you take the word avir... You get the word or yud, the light of the yud, the power of the yud. So what does that mean? We all know that the yud, we've been studying many years over here, we know that we have powers in our soul correspond to the yud, ke, to the tetragrammaton, to God's name. The first conscious revelation of our soul, the first light, the first emergence of the power of our soul in our deepest inner, 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 inner self, the power is what we said before, is a flash of new idea, a new concept, intellect, an idea. That's the yud, that's the flash, a point. Guess what? The ear, the ear that we're talking about is higher than the yud. The ear is the power of keser, which means the crown of your soul. Chachma is already one of the features of your soul. Keser is your transcendental essence. That's your keser. And that's called Oyer Yud, the power from where the Yud comes from. Yud is innovation. And what's in your Keser? What's there? Letters. The 22 letters. And that's where speech comes from. You don't notice them there. You don't sense them there. They're over there. They're obviously just totally one with who you are. They emerge outward and then they become the servant of the intellect, the servant of the mind, the servant of the emotions. It's a really, really phenomenal idea. So the power of speech, wow, it is so strong. It expresses the true, transcendental, infinite, godly most element of our soul. Now, we will see how this literally relates and affects and gives us the power to pray. And why prayer is through speech. Prayer really is one of the most shocking things. On the one, it's one of the most misunderstood elements because um, on the one hand, we're doing, we're praying all the time, we're davening and davening and davening, and it can become very, very frustrating that we daven, 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 daven. And, it, and most of the times, you know, we do it robotically, we just again every day open up the siddur and mumble the same words. Think, why do I have to do this every day? Just say the same Adon Allah and the same Ashrei and the same. So what is already, how, like what am I doing? What am I doing? It can, and when one lacks understanding and appreciation, it can become an extremely, extremely frustrating activity, daily activity that makes many people not enjoy their Yiddishkeit. 
the need to daven and say these words. Now, when you're in trouble, and when we're in a really big problem, then we really daven. Oh, now I'm really daven. Oh, but then we need to understand, then we really need to understand, what are you really doing when you're davening? What are you doing? Basically, what you're trying to do is you get, you're trying to get God to change his mind. Now, go try to get God to change his mind. What is God's mind so fickle that you are going to change God's mind? Why are things the way they are? Things are the way they are because God decided that this is the way things ought to be. And now you're going to come, me, little, 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 little nobody, and I'm going to go give God new ideas. That He should change around the whole order. Now you realize, now in order for the creation to work, is a gazillion little pieces that have to work together perfectly. And obviously anybody other than God would never been able to work such a, such a complex system. With a, the, 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 the mind can't fathom the, 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 the quantity of pieces, so to speak, of things that need to work in perfect harmony for the world to be balanced exactly the way it needs to be. So there's a famous story, I think, with the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, when he was a Shneer Zalman of Liadi, when he was a little boy. He was with his brother or with some other children. And they were discussing what would they do if they were God. And this one said, if I was God, then I would right away take the Jewish people out of the exile, bring them to the land of Israel, give them a whole lot of money, and take care of this, and all the bad guys I would throw into hell, and whatever. So that was the only one they said. Okay, fine. And the next one said all the changes that he would do if he was God. And then the Alter Rebbe said, little boy, maybe five, six years old, if I was God, things would be exactly the way they are. Obviously, if I was God, then I wouldn't understand why things have to be the way they are. Things are this way because they have to be this way. This is the way it is. It's the only way it can be. Come and make a little tweak. Change one little thing and you mess the whole thing up. The whole thing is off. The whole thing doesn't match. Doesn't work. So if God forbid, God decides that there has to be a lack of parnasa. God decides it has come time for someone to leave the world. God has decided that so this person has to be ill. Okay, so we don't understand the reason, but there is some great godly master plan. And now I'm taking a sitter and I'm telling him, I'm begging, please God, change it, change it. But why should judge? How could he change it if he sees it that way? So decreed the infinite wisdom, the wisest of the wise, the greatest of the greats, the master of all of history has so decided because this is what's right, this is what's correct, and he's just, and this is perfect. How can one change it? And the answer is that the mind, we'll use a human example, even though the mind is our most unbiased kind of power that we have, emotion is completely subjective. Okay? Emotion is how, <laughs> my emotion is how I, I would like it to be because I like it to be this way because it's good for me. Emotion is subjective. But the intellect could be objective. And we try as much as we can, and we hope to believe that we can be really, really objective people and to look at things unbiasedly and really, really make a decision just on reality, not the way we... But really in truth and truth, it's not really true. Because there is something deeper than intellect that influences intellect. And that is desire, will. Will has power over the mind. You see something the way you want to see it. 
People that are essentially very, very, very positive people, optimistic people, will always understand things in a positive way. There's their outlook, their understanding, their reason is always, yes, it will work. You're getting together, you want to work on a project, there will be always people who will come and really work it out in their mind and show all the ways how this will work. Those that are essentially pessimistic and, and cynical and just have a very negative position in everything will prove to you on a paper how we're going to try to do this project and for sure it's going to fail. Because this won't have, And guess what? They're both absolutely right. You ever have situations where you go and you hear from one school of thought, people proving that this is the way, to, and you say, wow, it makes so much sense. And then you go to the other side and you talk to the other side, and they're 100% right. There's not always just one truth, it seems like. You know, things can be like this, can be like this. There's arguments to this side, and there's arguments to that side. What determines how it is, what your desire is. A person who has a desire to see things in the positive, sees in the positive. Obviously, there's, there is gradations in that. There are times that we are consciously biased, and there are times that we're not consciously biased, but there's just a little tiny bit of something because we want. If we love someone, we will always try to find and vindicate them, try to find them innocent. If we dislike someone, we will find, we will find all good logic reasons, and we will come to that conclusion why they are guilty, wrong, and the like. That's just the way it is. So by God, believe it or not, it's the same thing. God runs the world and has decided so, so, and so, and so, and so because of absolute truth. Yes. But He wants to see it one way. And guess what? He can want to see it another way. And if He wants to see it the other way, His will and desire overpowers the Abishter's Chachma to tilt the Chachma, the Abishter's mind, to see it in another way. And it will work as well. In other words, that very idea that the only way creation could continue if God forbid this person is sick and God has all the math to prove that. He has all the math and all the calculations. It's based on a gazillion trillion equations based on every single thought, speech and action this person did in all their previous incarnations all the way going back to Adam Arishan, and how their soul impacts all past, present, and future, all of that is true. And based on that, this person now ought to be sick. And there's nothing to do. I'm sorry, this is, this is, this. We crunch the numbers, and this is the outcome. Yes. But God, if He wants to, can figure it out a little differently. But that's dependent if He wants to. Why? Because higher than reason and higher than intellect is will. The keser that we spoke about before, the pre-intellect, the powers that are higher than, 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 the, than the internal powers of the soul is where the power of will is and desire is. And those, and those essential, and the state of that essential, and that essential state is the determining factor of which way we find, I'll give you a perfect example for that. We find after the flood, when God, before the flood, God was very angry at humanity and God said, I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to destroy the world completely. And then after the flood, and why? Because man is wicked from his youth. From his very, very youth, he's a wicked. And therefore, I'm going to destroy him. 
After the flood, it says, God says, I'm never going to destroy man ever again. Why? Because man's heart is wicked, and therefore you can't blame him for his wickedness. He's born wicked. Now, isn't that totally interesting? That very same reason that God said, if man is essentially wicked, he needs to be destroyed. How can I leave an essentially wicked being? Am I worried that for sure gonna, he's going to gonna wreck my planet? I have to destroy him. And then God says, I can't, how can I blame human beings? They're essentially, they're born with this wickedness. I can't blame them. What changed? The same reason should be a reason like this or a reason that way. What changed is God's desire. Higher than reason. What happened? Noah, excuse my term, bribed God by giving, by giving, he bribed Hashem to the side of positivity by giving Hashem korbanos. When Hashem got the sacrifice, he says, God smelled it and God said, now you're my friend. And now that you're my friend, I'm going to see things with a positive eye on you. And therefore the human being, okay, I, I see. Now that very same argument that before was a reason for guilt is now a reason for innocence and to vindicate. And God makes a contract, you will never destroy man. So now the question is, okay, this is very, very, to get God's will to change, that's really problematic. How in the world are you going to capture God's will and get Hashem to change his mind? Well, you're going to do that through prayer. Why is prayer so powerful and how to say prayer work in changing Hashem's mind? So here is something we learned on Thursday night, which is really, really, really awesome this last Thursday. And um, I said, wow, this is just an amazing idea. You see, if there is a very, 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 very wealthy, great philanthropist, a billion, billion, billionaire, and I want to get his attention. I want to expand my own. I want to build this huge, huge center and everything, and I have no way I need $25, $30 million. There's no way I'm going to put this together. And how in the world am I going to do that? I need to get to this guy, and hopefully if he wants to make it happen, he can make it happen. I can't do it. What am I going to do? How in the world am I going to capture the heart, the mind, the interest of someone so the whole world's running after him? How in the world am I going to get that? How in the world is going to pay attention to Wolf on La Brea? Oh, there's no way. I'm going to send them a CD and the mail. Please listen to this. This is inspiring. This is a... Okay, yeah, nice. Right? How am I... How is... This guy, I'm going to send them an email. Write to him. Not going to work. So if I luck out for whatever, whatever, whatever reason, and I managed to get make one of these two-minute videos that go viral. And for whatever reason, you know, 16 million people watch this video. Because it is so absurd, it is so crazy, it is so, I don't know what, or so phenomenal, or so unbelievable, or such a like, whoa! It's like something so unexpected that everybody in the world is watching it. And I know, because I see that whoever it is, Warren Buffett or whatever, he, he, he commented it. He commented on my video. Ooh, I caught his attention. Now I have an in. Now I'm just going to respond to his tweet. And now we have a conversation going. I can figure out already how to ask him for the 35 million. That's a different story. But at least now he turned his attention. There is interest. I have to capture him with something unexpected, something unique, something like, whoa. 
And that's... That. Now, I'll, this is the modern-day mushal for this example, for the metaphor that the Hasidic masters give. They take us back to old-time Poland or Russia where you had the big king and uh, we needed a favor from the king. And Yanko, whatever, has to come to the king and get the king to grant him that which he's looking for. He needs a license to be able to do so and so, or whatever it is, and he wants the king. Even if he goes through all the bureaucracy, even if he goes through all and gets the appointment, which usually takes months and weeks, and he enters the king's chamber and he goes for a private audience, the king is sitting by his desk, He's either reading the newspaper, looking at the news, or looking through legislation. He's got his glasses on on the tip of his nose, and he's looking through here and here and here and here. And you're talking to him and hacking him in China, Kabak. You have so and so. And how much attention is he truly giving to you or to what you're asking for? It doesn't mean anything. So, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to talk philosophy. I'm going to start talking to him Shakespeare. I'm going to start talking to him poetry. Or I'm going to talk to him about it. And the king, he's a smart man. I'm sure he's going to be interested. The king wants to talk philosophy. He has enough philosophers to talk to. He's not interested. It's not, it's nothing. Get out of here. Goodbye. Take care. So, if he happens to be in a good mood, maybe he'll listen. You know, the, the chance of him paying attention because his heart is in a complete different space. So how do you get him? So the way you would do is you have to, char- you have to do something that will capture his attention. Oh, so what a person would do is do something that is different. He would come in with a parrot. And he had a little, little parrot. Now the king of Poland is not like in New Guinea or whatever where there's a parrots on the trees all over. He, the king is in Poland. Where is he? What is he? Is he a parrot? He knows a chicken. He doesn't know of a parrot. And you walk in with a parrot. And the parrot says, Your majesty. You know, uh, hello, your majesty. And he looks up because he has a familiar voice. And he sees a bird talking to him. Wow, that's like unexpected. That's like, so he can't believe what he sees. And then he says, your highness, hello. How, whatever, how are you doing? Whatever, whatever silly thing the parrot says. And then the king gets so amused by it. And the king starts talking to the parrot and says, say, he says, what is that? And he explains to him, this is a bird and the bird can talk. And then he tells the bird, you know, tell, tell I want a cracker or I want this. And the king says it to the bird and the bird repeats it. Wow! He's, the king is like going crazy from seeing this parrot. Oh, so in this case, now you have his attention. You have his attention. He's willing to grant you. He will listen. He will give you. What do you, what do you need? Okay, so what you come here for? I'm here. I need so-and-so. Here, stamp. Take it and go. You're okay. Speak to so-and-so and they'll, t- they'll take care of whatever you need. Because you caught his attention. And this is the example that is given that the same is with God on high. In order to get the master of the universe's attention, we need to do something extreme. And what is so extreme? Guess what? We wouldn't believe it. Davening is so extreme. Davening. Davening is so, I'm sorry to you, I mean, it's interesting to use this word. Davening is so amusing to God that it like wows him. It wows him, it gets him so excited. Why is he so amused by davening? The real inner union of davening is that a human being is gaining, a physical human being is gaining an appreciation of the divine and wants to get close to God. That is as unexpected and even more unexpected than a parrot talking, than a bird talking. Because it's not meant to be that way. 170 pounds of meat and bones generally is not inspired by some sublime spiritual power. 
a hundred and seventy or sixty or eighty pounds of meat and bones usually is inspired by lunch, is inspired by other types of physical pleasures and delights and things that they're out there to do. That's what gets a this physical chunk of 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 of, of, of material uh, substance uh, passionate and excited. When God sees a earthy being excited about that is so phenomenal, that is so strange, that is so shocking, that is so unexpected. Now even though you'll say we've been davening for the last 5,000 years. Yeah, but relative to the rest of the cosmos. You see, the fact that angels above, and he has gazillions of them, sing his praises and say kadosh kadosh, and they praise him and sing to him all day long. Well, no, that doesn't excite him. Because they don't have a Sahara, They don't have bodies. They don't have distractions. They don't rely on food to be sustained. We rely, we're physical. We're earthy beings. Our consciousness is very dense and thick. And we don't know anything but to us what's real is what our five senses can relate to, can touch, can feel, can sense, can smell. All abstract ideas and spiritual concepts are very, very foreign to us. And even if we maybe can know them, we can know them from a distance, but not get excited about it, not draw, not get <coughs> pulled to it. Ooh. But when Hashem sees that a physical being that naturally should be so full of him, his or herself is recognizing his or her source, turning to his or her source, acknowledging his source, and wants to draw close, that is so unique, that is so unbelievable, that God, so to speak, gets a kick out of it. It literally amuses him. And as a result of that, you've already captured his attention. You've so captured his attention, because it is so unbelievable. Especially considering even more of an idea. What do you use to fuel your davening? In order to speak, to daven, to actually say the words, and especially to say them with fervor and with passion and with excitement. In order to say those words, you need physical energy. You need fuel. All, every, every activity needs fuel. And how do you fuel it? So where do we get our fuel? Where do we get our energy from? Guess what? From another few pounds of physicality. Which means the food that you ate yesterday... Lunch that you had yesterday, breakfast that you had two days ago, is now being converted to energy. And that energy is now translating into words that are speaking of God's greatness. You're saying, Vayavarech David. You're saying, Lacho Hashem To you God is greatness, might, splendor. Vahanetzach, and, 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 and eternity. You're saying, Yishtabach Shimcha La'ad Malkeinu. You see, you see, you hear, Yishtabach Shimcha. You don't even know if you're saying it, but I'm saying, Yishtabach, that's what you see, that's what you're seeing. But God sees Cheerios. Yishtabach Shimcha La'ad Malkeinu. That is so unbelievable, because Cheerios are not supposed to become Yishtabach Shimcha La'ad Malkeinu. It's not, most Cheerios do not become Yishtabach. Most tuna sandwiches don't become uh, over there Shema Yisrael. But here, down here, is where the most unexpected thing is happening. Earthy, physical, material gashmias is converting to spiritual longing and thirst and to praise of God. That gets the Abishter's attention. And that's why all the sublime beings above cannot praise. They cannot praise. 
They, they're, meaning they could praise. But their praise doesn't, God doesn't react to them. Dafka, when Hashemists are in bodies and we daven, we have the superiority over all of the creature, of all of the creation, because in this state that we should pray, prayer means to attach ourselves. Our, our natural state is to be, be detached. The fact that we attach ourselves is so exciting, it captures the Abishter's interest on a level of what? Of rutsam of will. Once you have God's rutsam, God's will, once his will is yours, you can, you can already ask him for everything. I say, well, according to his intellect and according to the way God designed creation, this is the way it has to be. Well, he can make it different. Because will overpowers, keser overpowers chachma. And that's why the sages tell us a very interesting thing. There is a malach. His name is malach mitat, mitatron. Okay, he's like the, one of the chief, chief archangels above. His job is to raise the prayers of the Jewish people. To elevate the prayers. Now he sits above a series of angels. Under him, the Gemara doesn't say this, but in Hasidus it is discussed. Metatron is like the archangel that has a gazillion malachim beneath him. Lower and lower, they go lower and lower, lower and lower. Until those that are very, very close to earth. And there are those that are hanging out on these skylights right over here in the shul. They're down here, these angels. And what do they do? When we speak words, when we daven, the angels grab those words and they elevate it higher. Each angel picks it up higher. The Zohar says, you know what the malachim do? The malachim kiss those words. They're so ex- the angels understand and appreciate the, the value of these words on what they're going to accomplish. The angels kiss those words. And as they kiss it, each one passes it up to angels above them. And it will go through a series of elevation higher and 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 higher all the way all the way up until Malach Metatron gathers them in the high heavens. And he change and he takes these letters and he ties crowns for God. And literally it becomes the Abishter's crown. So what does that mean? God likes cute little hats, like little birthday hats, and he puts them on his head. What does it mean our prayers become crowns for Hashem? And what is this idea? We're saying the words go up. So first of all, we have already an idea. Based on what we said before. In order to get prayer to be answered, which the essence of prayer is two words, Yehi Ratzon, let there be new will. You want a new will. There was an old will. The will was for whatever, for punishment. The will was for... Maybe not punishment, God forbid, let's say. It was harsh. The will was that the world in this condition needs this certain harsh approach. And someone comes and creates new will. The will should be for compassion and kindness, generosity and goodness and love and bracha and atzlacha and only, only good and peace and everything. That's the ratzon we want. We want new ratzon. But ratzon is on which level? Which level of the divine do we associate with ratzon? Keser, crown, that's ratzon. So for prayer to work, the prayers have to rise up in God's crown, so to speak, to change the shape of the crown, to change the desire to kindness, to goodness, to the Abish, to wants to give. And as a result of that, what's going to happen to? That is also going to change Hashem's mind. That's where prayers have to go. And that's why they are lifted up higher and higher and higher and higher, all the way to the Abish's crown, to Hashem's crown. 
Because that's where the change has to happen to evoke new desire to change the decree. However, it's the novelty that the fact that a human being is praying that's capturing God's attention. But what actually is the power that we use to communicate with that infinite, transcendental power of Hashem that's above the entire system. You have to get to God as He is higher than running the world. Because if you're getting to God as God has already decided of how He's running the world, you can't change it. Over there things are already set. You have to get to the pre-plan. You have to get to the inner will of Hashem, higher than God's intelligence, so to speak. So what do you use to get there? You use speech. Why speech? That's based on what we said before. Because if we are to trace our speech, where does the speech come from? Our speech does not come, as we said before, they're not cre- it's not created in our physical mouth. It's not even created in our thought. It's not created in our emotion. It doesn't even come from our intellect. It comes from the pre-intellect. It comes from the keser of our neshama. And let's really, and, and, and who put it there? These letters, where are they emanating from in truth? These letters are really emanating from the keser of the Ein Sof. The really root, the root is, is really, this is unbelievable. The root of your letters that you're saying, Baruch Ata Hashem, the Beis, the Re, the ability for you to say these sounds, Beis, Reish, Vav, Chav, Ata, Aleph, Ta, these sounds, down here they sound so physical. But as soon they leave your mouth and they start rising upward, they become beautiful, exquisite sounds because the angels receive them and turn those sounds into an angelic sound. Why? What are the angels really doing? The angels are just removing... Here, listen to this. The, ra- the angels are just removing the physicality of those sounds that make it so physical and earthy, and it's allowing the, the, the true nature of those letters to shine as they are. These letters are really spiritual forces. Right? The, the angels are removing the, 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 the coarseness of the letter by kissing it, They're basically acting as filters. They're kissing away the coarseness of it and they're allowing the letter now to be angelic. But we know that there are so many levels of refinement. Levels upon levels. So after the lower angels have already refined the letters, they pass it on to higher angels who re-refine it again, put it through a second refinery. And they refine these letters and now these letters are so exquisite they're like two notches angelic, way above. And then those angels pick it up to a higher level. And so these letters go back to their original form of the 22 letters as they are embedded in the essence of God himself who is the only one who is truly infinite and has that power of communication. So we're sending the letters all the way up to Malach Metatron. He places them on God's head. Over there, these letters, we don't even understand what these letters are. Don't ever cheapen those words you're saying in davening and think all you said was a few letters. These letters, they go higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. They go up an infinite chain. They reach the essence of the Ein Sof. And over there, they rearrange everything. They bring so much bracha, so much blessings. 
They, the, the, the ill are healed. The poor are, 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 are uh, sustained. The ignorant are enlightened. The prisoners are freed. Trees are growing. I mean, you're creating, you're bringing, you're literally making creation with your prayer. Unbelievable. All the power of speech. Through the malachim that are taking them up because, but again, it's only the power of Dibur that has that strength and that ability. So once we understand the power of Emor to speak, so with such a potent power, we have the message in this week's parsha. Make sure to call Mikra Kodesh. Use your words to call holiness. Call forth holy godliness into the world. Don't God forbid use your mouth, chas v'shalom, the opposite. At the end of the parsha, we have someone using the power of speech for blasphemy, anti-godly, because, and this is the biggest crime. Because you're taking a power of Hashem and kind of using that very power in a way that's, that's, that's for the dark side. So the Pasuk is saying, Emor, speak. And people think, you know, because speech is so, is so, is so powerful. So then it does say in Perkeyavis, it's better to be quiet. Right? Yeah, that's, that's plain speech. Holy speech, Tehillim, Davening, words of Torah. Speak and speak and speak because that's the greatest and most powerful, most powerful ability that we have to bring about such change and such light and such goodness all through the power of speech. May it be that the Abishter will hear, repeat the words of our mouth and already bring about from the, how many prayers did we pray? How many prayers did we pray for God to change his mind, so to speak, and end the exile and bring the Giyula it's countless beyond. May we already see the Hashem responding to the prayer of all prayers of Let our eyes see when Hashem will return to Tzion. May we merit to see the Geula Shalema now, now, and now. Oh, my God.